Konnichiwa, my friends. Thanks for tuning in to Master Samurai Tech Radio. This is a podcast for appliance techs by appliance techs. Today is October 9th, 2015, and this is episode 10. We're your hosts, Samurai Appliance Repairman and Mrs. Samurai. And, oh, I guess my voice changed. (laughs) Actually, yours did a little bit. (laughs) I know. I'm a little squeaky today. I lost my voice this week. Right. So, she'll. it'll be a little bit different episode today. It's going to be a little bit shorter. We're not going to have as many sections, the one that where Mrs. Samurai usually talks a lot on, like in industry news and things. We're going to put that off for next week. And Mrs. Samurai is still here to sort of keep me straight, but she won't be talking a whole lot because... Yeah, it's a little annoying. <laughs> yeah, so kind of hard to listen to, but uh, probably easier on your throat, too. So anyway, just uh, want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, we run MasterSamuraiTech.com and Appliantology.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or on Android, and you can listen to it on our YouTube channel. So thanks for tuning in, and we're going to kind of get right into it. We were out last week. We didn't do an episode last week because we were traveling. That's right. We were rambling and uh, we were out in Colorado. In fact, one of the things we did when we were out in Colorado, we visited American Appliance. It's run by Scott Baca out in Golden, Colorado. Um, Phenomenal operation. It was just a great tour. And Scott, if you're listening, thanks so much for, again, for your hospitality. But he is one of the Sub-Zero parts distributors in North America. I think there's nine, he said there was, but he's the guy for that region. So so Sub-Zero parts distributing, and of course they also run service. Premier partner, right? Premier partner, right. And so, but he's got a big building facility there, newly painted, looks great, immaculate parts warehouse. I mean, just- yeah, just a common theme and a common team, and just a just a well honed machine, but uh, really um, really fantastic operation, inspirational to see. But uh, so that was one of the big things we were doing last week, and so just wanted to share that. Also, last week we did some oh no, week before we did decor training, right? Uh, Sam and I mm-hmm. went. Uh, Sam is our son, uh, runs service calls with me, and uh, also went. We went and did decor training up in Burlington, Vermont. We looked at their new Android range. I think they call it the IQ, <laughs> Dynasty IQ, but it's actually run by an Android tablet computer. That's the whole, you know, what we think of as the ERC. They're actually using an Android tablet computer in there. It's a Samsung tablet that has been modified, uh, special purpose for um, you know, with Decor's menu and all that kind of thing in there. So special purpose for the Decor range. Yeah, we've been talking about all this connectivity. Yep, and here it is coming to us. And it's all, of course, it's all Wi-Fi and everything. It's got an app that users can use on the phone. It's got great diagnostics. I mean, just it's just like you're, you're actually going in there in a very user-friendly experience to the technician user-friendly experience to get into the service routine and run all these various tests it's just like interacting with a tablet computer so i mean it's going to feel very very much at home to a lot of a lot of you guys using this and working on these and then we uh, the next day so that was really cool so to see all that work on that just see how the industry is changing just uh, reinforces the whole um, thing we've been talking about with appliances becoming computers. <laughs> so, in fact, appliances really are computers with appliance functionality. And there it was borne out. But then the next day, we also had a webinar with Decor, and they did, they talked about gas ignition theory and reignition theory and 
flame ionization and flame rectification and it was really uh, a lot of stuff going on there a lot of interesting stuff to go uh, going on with that whole uh, gas ignition and reignition and uh, i think it'd be a good topic to include in another podcast we'll go into detail on that but so that's what was going on a week before and last week so we're all caught up to date on that yeah and I thought with that then, the rest of this episode is just going to be on all technical topics. Um, one thing that's come up in the uh, Chat USA email list is a discussion, very interesting discussion and timely, about GFCIs and AFCIs. Mm-hmm. And now we've talked before in a previous episode about uh, GFCIs versus surge suppressors. Right. And uh, in case anybody doesn't know, GFCI, Ground Fault Circuit Interrupter. And it is functionally a completely different animal from surge suppressors. We've talked about that before. Well, now we got a new guy on the scene. Uh-oh. The AFCIs, and that is the arc fault circuit interrupters. So let me just give a um, quick rundown, a quick review, refresher of the uh, GFCIs and the... Um, a quick rundown and description of the AFCIs, how they're different, uh, and, and then also talk a, a little bit about some of the uh, new regulatory requirements, specking out where they need to be installed in the home. So just as a quick review on GFCIs, these work by comparing the current flow in line and neutral, coming in a 120-volt socket, right? Not line, not line and ground. That's what everybody everybody thinks is checking the current leakage to ground. It's actually checking that current differential between line and neutral. And if that differential, if it detects a differential in current between uh, a greater than five milliamps, then the GFCI opens the circuit. You know the assumption there being that the that differential uh, current flow, that that discrepancy. Uh, must be going to ground and therefore presents a danger. Well, that's a good assumption, right? But it's not actually measuring that. It's assuming that the current's going to ground. Just a kind of an important concept. Just playing it safe. Right, right. And so, and that's probably where it is going. So it goes ahead and opens that uh, that outlet, trips the cuts, kills power to the outlet, and, and again, that that cutoff is five milliamps of differential current flow between line and neutral. Now. And that's hardwired in. That's very simple operation. That's it. They're, they're no more complicated than that. Now, let's talk about arc fault circuit interrupters, AFCIs. Well, now it gets a little, little more messy because we no longer have just a simple operating standard to meet, like the 5 milliamps in GFCIs, you know, 5 milliamp discrepancy, and then it trips. We don't have that going on. Instead, now with an AFCI, we're actually dealing with a simple type of computer. It's a simple, uh, single-purpose type computer. It's actually programmed with hundreds of different arc patterns. And so what the AFCI is actually doing is when, when an, there's an arc, it's constantly monitoring what's going on in the line and you know, just taking samples and looking at it. When it picks up an arc, it and immediately goes through its database and compares this arc pattern and it's looking at things like distortion in the sine wave and things like every arc gives off types of um, uh, patterns or distortions Um, you can look at you can see it on a sine wave uh, or an oscilloscope you can see these distortions that are imposed on the uh, sine wave the arc AFCI arc fault circuit interrupter looks at that and compares that to a database that it has stored of, of 
looking for, is it a normal arc or is it an abnormal arc or a dangerous arc? So supposedly it has, it, it knows normal arcing, like you, you get arc, normal arcing is things like when a motor starts or when you turn on a light switch, you get a normal arc. And the AFCI is supposed to be able to detect that. And again, it does this based on the database that is programmed into it, right? Yeah. This is the key thing to understand. So, um, and it does this really, goes through its whole database in, in a split second. I mean, like instantaneously does it, does it really, really fast because it's all microprocessor speed. So what this means then is that the AFCI effectiveness and compatibility with appliances is going to vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. There is no standard or consistent database of, of ARCs out there. So that's why you're going to have, for example, with the Murray brand of AFCIs, they don't work with Sub-Zero refrigerators, but other brands do. It's something peculiar to the Murray brand because of the way the, the arc patterns that they have programmed in there. They need to make an adjustment to their programming. Um, so we'll revisit this in just a second here, but then I wanted to just get into a little bit on the, some of the NEC requirements, National Electrical Code. As near as I can tell, NEC section 210.12 paragraphs A and B, it seems to require AFCIs in all 120 volts AC outlets in a home. You know, and here's, a, here's the quote, here's what it says. All 120 volts single phase 15 and 20 amp branch circuits supplying outlets or devices installed in dwelling units, kitchens, family rooms, dining rooms, living rooms, parlors, libraries, den, dens, bedrooms, sunrooms, recreation rooms, closet hallways, laundry areas or similar areas or areas dot 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 that's like the whole deal i don't know why they have to list them all like that i don't want to i don't know why they don't just say I everywhere know. i mean <laughs> anywhere really? there's, anywhere there's a 120 volt outlet you got to have an afci well that's what it seems to be saying all right well now let's go to this situation with um like we already mentioned sub-zero and how the murray brand of afcis don't work with sub-zero refrigerators they trip out every time the refrigerator compressor kicks in it uh, the a murray afcis kicks it kicks off wow that's not too helpful yeah um really annoying and it's uh, causing some issues with sub-zeros customers and understandably now with gfcis you don't install GFCIs for, for example, with refrigerators. You don't want to use them with uh, any appliance anyway, uh, particularly wet appliances, but any appliance with a split phase motor, because all split phase motors are going to, over time, eventually start leaking from their main winding to ground. This is the nature of being a split phase motor. You know, it's a tough life being a split phase motor. You think about it, it's a violent event when split phase motor starts. I mean, you're just, it's this, you're drawing huge amounts of current to start it up and and then uh, and then it gets going when it's drawing that current it's heating up those windings and the varnish insulation on that winding bakes just a little bit over time it starts cracking and then you get these paths for current that develop and so as the motor's running you get a little bit of current that leaks from the main winding to ground um, this causes a little extra current draw and if you've got it hooked into a GFCI, the GFCI is going to pick it up if you've got more than 5 milliamps leaking from the main winding to uh, ground, which is not no, really a problem. It's just a, a normal right. uh, degeneration life cycle in a split-phase motor. Um, and 
but for the GFCI, if it's plugged into GFCI, it's going to trip. If and so thinking mm-hmm. it's a problem, and so if your refrigerator is plugged into that, you're going to get spoiled food. So all of the manufacturers of refrigerators, you read in the Use and Care Guide, they say do not use it with a GFCI. Well, now NEC is coming in requiring AFCIs, or or they even go on to talk about combination devices, or there's combination AFCI and GFCI, but they're they're wanting AFCIs in all outlets and as i said we don't have uniform compatibility with afcis and appliances so what's going to happen here if suppose you, a house gets wired with uh, a certain brand of afci right. and you get a particular type of appliances installed in that kitchen or laundry room and it's tripping all the time so you'd have to re redo the outlets or you have to trial and error, find uh, somebody or maybe manufacturers are going to have to try to test their products with all the different types of AFCI brands out there and, and say that this is certified to work with this AFCI. There's something like that that could happen. This seems overly annoying. It's very annoying. And I think it's also this whole debacle, and I call it a debacle, it's a you know, it's, it's a, this requirement is a great illustration of Gary North's first law of bureaucracy. And Gary North's first law of bureaucracy says that some bureaucrat will eventually enforce the letter of the law to the point of absurdity. And I think that's kind of what we have going on here. I mean, requiring AFCIs in all outlets, and there's obvious compatibility problems. Uh, you've got these different databases that can create problems with some brands and not others. Uh, it's like in some, and it varies too by area to area. You can be in some localities where they might require GFCIs in all kitchen outlets, including the one the refrigerator is plugged into. Which makes no sense. Makes no sense because it's, uh, it's, that's, that's directly counter to what manufacturers tell you. Do not plug refrigerators into GFCI outlets precisely because of nuisance tripping. I mean, wasn't the whole point of GFCIs just, you know, you're blow drying your hair in the bathroom and the blow dryer right. falls on the sink and it's to keep you from being the ground it's about yes it's about wet floors primarily when you're standing on barefoot on a wet floor and something's you know there's some path that's developed to ground where uh, now current is leaking to ground and you could you could become part of that conductor right. so outlets near sinks yes i can see that but. yeah or you touch something say you're standing on ground and, it, and it's wet it's a wet floor you're standing on on a wet floor and you're basically kind of grounded you become your body has a nice path to ground let's just say so you touch something on that uh appliance maybe and it's there's been some fault in the appliance like a, there's a screw and it's got 120 volts on it your finger to mm-hmm. p- push touches on that well now you've got a, a some path through your body to ground and the the electrons are going to be driven by that voltage through your body to ground the ground fault that's exactly the situation the ground fault circuit interrupter is going to detect because that current that leaks from line to ground that's going to be uh, picked up as an imbalance between line and neutral by the gfci so yeah there's a great place for gfcis i don't think kitchens necessarily are one of them although there's there's water in kitchens you can see some of the outlets being gfci right but not the refrigerator one which is a particular outlet right only for it's behind the fridge you know so now we have afcis being required and it looks like, from my read of it, everywhere. So that's AFCIs, right? So we don't, we're not really, we're not in the realm of talking about GFCI and nuisance tripping, but we are still talking about nuisance tripping or incomplain old incompatibility, like with the Murray brand AFCIs and Sub-Zero refrigerators. Because it relies on a database that humans have put together and may exactly. or may not 
be uh, complete. And so the uh, programmers and engineers over at Murray uh, didn't bother investigating a sub-zero refrigerator for its arc pattern when it starts up and then program that into the database as one of the normal arcs. And that's, that's how this stuff works with these AFCIs. So the manufacturers are going to... I don't know if the, the, the AFCI manufacturers and the appliance manufacturers, maybe they're going to have to come to some sort of uh, meeting of the minds there and right. making sure their products are compatible. Now, do you see any actual advantage to an AFCI, you know, the way it functions? Over a GFCI? Right. Well, they're different. That's why there's also combination devices, and they, they pick up um, different faults. And, and I think they're, so they, their functions don't... Uh, overlap because again mm. with a GFCI you're just picking up that imbalance in current between line and neutral and lots of non-arcing events mm -hmm. can cause that right. um, that that kind of uh, discrepancy current discrepancy or leakage to ground that would be in a that could be an event not associated with an arc an arc event would be something like normal ones like light switches turning on motors starting up abnormal ones like breaks in an insulation and there's a current in a conductor mm -hmm. and its insulation is has a break in it maybe from mouse chew or whatever and it's it's arcing as it's maybe it's next to a pipe or something else metal and it's sitting there arcing somewhere or on a wet piece of wood and um, maybe as the wood dries out and so you have a fire potential right and the afci though would pick that up so it does have a place absolutely it's just yeah you know, on so many things, it would just be a nuisance to have a trip. But in a refrigerator, it goes beyond nuisance. It's spoiling your food. Right. It goes to, uh, you know, money loss and spoiled food, or if you weren't aware of it, food poisoning. I mean, you know, it's all kinds of bad scenarios that gets into. Refrigerators don't tend to be a fire hazard, right? I mean, that's not a more vulnerable, you know, electrically vulnerable I, point I, in your house, usually. I don't refrigerators uh, I mean you do have like for example the solid state relay the PTC relay on split phase compressors um, those can get really hot and burn up I mean I've seen some pretty nice burn up of those where they're just filling the room with this burnt plastic smell mm -hmm. that's as close as I've ever seen a refrigerator get to causing a fire but there's not a whole lot in the back there in the machine compartment that it can catch fire to right. unless a mouse has built up a nest back there and I mean I, I just don't compared to like a dryer where right, it, that's the thing you think about most of the things. Right, or right. Or dishwashers sometimes, because there's a lot of wiring back there mice have easy access to. The thing to keep in mind, though, is, and this is might be part of the thinking, is that when that refrigerator is running, the arc fault could be anywhere along that refrigerator circuit, anywhere extending from the outlet back to the circuit breaker box. So you're not necessarily talking about a problem. That's that's not what you're. That's not the only thing you're protecting with an AFCI no. is the appliance itself mm -hmm. being a being a fire hazard. You're protecting all of the wires serving the outlet that serves that appliance. Hmm. So the arc fault could be anywhere along that wire, mouse chew somewhere behind a wall for the wire, the Romex that's running up to that outlet. So I mean, I can see a a, a reason for why it's desirable. Um, but it seemed like it got a, it was maybe it was just implemented a little prematurely before all of the database uh, problems were thought out. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, the, just to sum up, um, you know, the the problems with GFCI uh, uh, nuisance tripping mm -hmm. is integral 
to the way GFCIs work. It's just, and it's a, it's like a mechanical response. It's just right. a simple standard. The problem with AFCIs not working with some appliances, however, the pro- this problem is not mechanical or, or you know simple. It's algorithmic. So AFCIs only work as well as the ARC database that was programmed into them right. by the AFCI manufacturer. So, okay, well, we spent a lot of time on that, but that, that was an interesting and, and timely topic, and hopefully this gives, gives, uh, gives everybody a little bit of insight into these things. But you're going to start seeing AFCIs out there. I'm sure maybe a lot of you already are. Uh, they are definitely coming on the scene. They are now required by the NEC, and I think have been uh, for uh, like a year or so. So, okay, so, and we'll just move right along here. I think, uh, you know, because of this is kind of a special episode um we're going to move right along without a break the other thing i wanted to get into is this this uh idea of voltage and current in series and parallel circuits um i i'm seeing lots of uh, lots of techs mix this thing up and um, not really have a good understanding of the relationship between voltage and current in series and parallel circuits and understanding how that works is a, a simple but important thing. Just commit it to memory and, and uh, understanding how it works. So here, let's just start off with a couple true-false questions. Mm-hmm. So true-false. Current is the same throughout a series circuit, throughout every point in a series circuit. Uh, true or false? Yeah. And, and of course, the, the, the answer is, well, what, if the, what about the current before the load Is that in a series circuit? Is that greater than and then the current gets all used up after the load? No, it seems to me, back, based on what we were just talking about, a GFCI wouldn't work unless current was supposed to be wow, great the tie same in. Great tie-in. Throughout a circuit. Yes, the current is the same throughout a series circuit. That's right. And so if and, and in the back end, all the parallel circuits can reduce down to a series circuit. You can do this with equivalent resistance. And so what comes out at the outlet can be considered a series circuit. So yes, right. line, current and on line and neutral must be exactly equal. And that's, that is, in fact, is the physics of the situation. Current is the same throughout a series circuit, even before the load and after the load. It doesn't get, you know, eaten up or anything right. um, by the load. Uh, that's just not how it works. And, and, and this idea of, um, I also want to talk about this idea that current is some kind of mysterious force that makes decisions, you know, that are sort of mystical about which, way, which path they're going to follow. And you need to start with the physics of electricity and understand that when we're talking about electric current, we're talking about little, tiny, negatively charged electrons. And they're, they're really dumb. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just tiny, negatively charged particles. They, they don't care about anything. That's, that's all they are. And they don't think about anything. They don't have any kinds of whims or desires. They do exactly what voltage tells them to do. Voltage is the driver of current. So, and the only thing current, the only thing electrons want is to get away from a negative, another negative charge and move towards a positive charge. So when there's a voltage difference, when an electron feels a difference in voltage, negative on on one side and positive on the other, it's going to move away from that negative charge and towards that positive charge. If it has a path to do it. If it has a a valid path to do it. Yes. Great. And that, that is exactly true. So that's, you have to start with this understanding of what current actually is. 
And, and then now jumping back now to series and parallel circuits, I wanted to lay that groundwork about what current is and electrons. So if we understand that, we have that in our mind, let's go back to the series and parallel circuits now. And this question of, now we talked about current in series circuits. What about current in parallel circuits? Would the, would the uh, mysterious magical electrons be, have the same exact flow in each branch of parallel circuits? depends on the load in the, each branch. Yes, because what's driving that, um, that current, those electrons, through each branch in the parallel circuit? It's voltage. It's the voltage. And so that's the thing that probably you have to commit it to memory, is re remember that the voltage in each branch of a parallel circuit is exactly the same. It is the source voltage. So each branch... Will, will, is being supplied with the same voltage. So if you've got a 120 volt circuit, you got three, par, uh, three 120 volt power supply rather, and, and three parallel circuits, each branch, each one of those three branches is gonna feel 120 volts. So the current flow through each of those branches then is going to be dependent on the resistance right so and it goes back to ohm's law the way you understand this is ohm's law and i always start with e is equal to i times r e voltage is equal to current i times resistance r so in other words you could say that um, current i is equal to voltage represented by the symbol e in equations divided by resistance so as a resistance goes up the current goes down. Resistance and, and current are inversely related. This is true everywhere. Right. And what we're doing is we're specifically looking in each branch of, a par of parallel circuits. Each branch has the same exact voltage, power supply, same voltage supply. But the current flow through each branch will be dependent on the resistance of the loads in that branch. So the higher the resistance of, of the load in, the, in, the, in a particular parallel branch, the lower that current's gonna be. So the current in parallel circuits is not the same, not necessarily the same, but it can be. If, if the, the resistance is all the same. If the, yeah, exactly right. So it can be the same, but it, it, again, it depends on the load resistance. I can always picture this pretty well, because I, I picture just a single wire with all these electrons being pushed along, and then suddenly they have several branches available to them. They're all getting the exact same pressure, uh, but the amount of electron flow or current through each branch will depend on how hard it is to get through that branch based on the resistance of whatever loads are in each branch. So there will be current flowing, electrons flowing through each branch, but yep. it will vary. It kind of makes sense. You can picture it. Yeah, that, that exactly exactly makes sense. Right. Each line of each inline, if you want to think of it, of that parallel branch is feeling 120 volts of pressure. Right. And, and that pressure is a good analogy in this case. So, yeah, in fact, there is physically 120 volts in each of those branches because of the way a parallel branches are connected to the source. And then at some point, all those various branches will come back together right. at the very end of a circuit, I guess neutral, right, right. we would to, be thinking of. For this circuit, yep. And the current at that point would still be the same as it was to start with. 
That's right. Or any kind of branching off. So happened. the current then all recombines, and then when it leaves out and, and to return, because every circuit has to have a power supply where, uh, and a return to the power supply. So the return on this circuit, if you can sort of imagine it, back to neutral, uh, all of that, that current coming back to neutral is exactly the same as the current coming in on L1, if we yep. want to call it L1. Um, but when you get into the, the parallel branch network, the current will divide up according to the load resistance. Yep. So, and then recombine and, and add up to exactly what the current was going in before the parallel network. So that's the whole, that's the whole idea. And again, I used Ohm's law and you, you've got to. Mm -hmm. Guys, there's just no getting around it. You can't see electricity. And so the only way we under, we have two, exactly two ways to understand electricity. And it's, it's, and it's math and measurements. Math and measurements. That's how we understand electricity. You're not going to have a good fundamental understanding of what electricity is without math. And we're talking about simple math. E is equal to I times R. You know, the, the Ohm's Law pie chart. I mean, that's what we use in the fundamentals course uh, when we teach basic electricity there. Um, it is... It's not just a troubleshooting tool. It is the means by which we understand how electricity moves and that relationship between voltage, current, resistance, and power. Right, because analogies can be helpful, but they have weaknesses. And so the, the equations and the, the math help keep you honest. Right, and we're not talking you know, differential equations and all that stuff, though you could. Um, we're talking simple math. Um, Multiplication know, and division. Right. This is grade school math. And it just understand, it, it keeps that relationship straight. And then measurements. Measurements is kind of what makes it real to us. You know, we, we, wow, this stuff really works. You know, you do, you do a measurement on, just with your um, meter on a parallel network. You see that there's the same voltage in, uh, going into each branch, now, which yep. is different from the voltage drop just to confuse things even further, mm -hmm. the voltage drop across each load in those parallel branches. Right. So do you guys follow that? So while, while the supply to each branch will be the same as the source voltage, mm -hmm. and we're sticking with our 120 volts AC, the voltage drop across each load will be different. Right. And just a reminder, voltage drop happens when current current is flowing yes through a load right so it's not just a voltage potential or that kind of thing right that you it, can measure it's not right it's not static voltage drop in this case is a result of current flowing through a load current itself is a result is a function of voltage it it flows mm -hmm. it moves electrons move as a, as a result of a difference in voltage between two points um and but voltage drop is a voltage that will appear across a load. And I mean, if you have your meter leads across each side of that load, it will appear there as a result of the current flowing through that load. And it will be different. It will vary according to the resistance of that load. Right. But the voltage will drop across the load, but the current will keep flowing at the same rate. That's and right. And I think that's what some guys get tripped right. up on. Yeah. They think the current's going to slow down or something because the voltage is dropping. Right. And that's where the water analogy, I think, kind of breaks down a little bit. Right. When people start visualizing uh, water slowing down as it, as it gets restrictions. 
I think because electrons don't have any room between them to speed up or slow down. Right. You know, like picture picture a whole bunch of billiard balls completely pushed against each other. Right. They're exactly. either moving or they're not moving. They're and incompressible. And if they're moving, right. Yeah. Incompressible, as we, as they say. So you know, you, so electron. Yeah. There's no space for forgive. There's no compression or expansion that goes on between electrons. Uh, you know, like you can in a gas. A gas gas can be compressed. Mm-hmm. Electron, for all practical purposes. Uh, is like a solid, all that, that, that continuous stream of electrons. When you think about it, they're atoms really tightly packed in right. in this copper. I mean, it's solid to us. It is solid, right? So, yeah. Solid yeah. wire, right? So kind of makes sense. All right. So hopefully that picked it up a little, that uh, clarified some things right there. And I think, um, I think you know, it has been uh, long enough for a recovery special episode. Yes. So, We'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here, but um, we've had several good um, uh, suggestions for topics that we are definitely going to get to on both business topics, pricing, and customers, and some of the other stuff we've talked about before, as well as some other technical topics. We are definitely going to get to those in the next show or two, So, but you guys keep your suggestions coming, please. We really do appreciate um, you guys' yeah. uh, comments and your feedback and any other suggestions for improving the show that um, that you care to share with us, we'd love to hear it. So, um, uh, again, just want to thank you for tuning in and listening and remind you to subscribe on iTunes or on Android. And, yep. And, uh, and tell your friends about us. MSTradio.com. MSTradio.com is the, right, the podcast homepage. You can go there and get all the archives and uh, listen to past episodes and... So, and then, and it's where all the subscriptions are there as well. So, all right. Anything else? Well, just hopefully I'll sound normal next week. <laughs> yeah. I'll hope. And then that'll be my turn. Oh, uh, so I'll take over. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll just have a big uh, industry news section. <laughs> all right. I'll just make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's a wrap. So thanks again for listening, everybody. And sayonara. Bye.